Well, of course, the book of Jeremiah. We uh, talked about why we studied this when we got into this midway through last year because of what was going on in our country. I felt this was an appropriate uh, book. I say every, you know, we used to have Sunday evening services. We teach verse by verse through uh, different books of the New Testament. On Wednesday night, we've typically taught through books of the Old Testament. Seems like every book you're, every book you're in becomes your favorite, and it is for a period of time. But uh, I tell you what, the book of Jeremiah is an amazing uh, testimony, and uh, it's, uh, it's one of my favorite. And I tell you, for guys like Dan and I, uh, you can certainly relate. I mean, uh, we sit here and we admire so much, and appropriately so. We admire the men and women in Scripture. But think of all the books of prophecy. Think of all the prophets, the major and the minor prophets. Uh, think of the apostles themselves. By and large, they were hated by their culture, by the community. They weren't getting the keys to the city. Uh, they were being chased out of most cities. So the reality is deception hates truth. Darkness hates light. We know that truth ultimately always wins. And we know that light will ultimately uh, overcome the darkness. Uh, however, in the midst of the battle, uh, sometimes it can be discouraging when you keep preaching the truth and people keep opposing and resisting. Well, Jeremiah was the epitome, and I should have corrected that. It's Jeremiah chapter 30 we are in tonight. We'll get through about the first 12 verses, 13 verses. But Jeremiah was a, was a man that was faithful to God, loved his country, got called to do a job that he didn't want in the first place, but God said, before you were even uh, a twinkle in your father's eye, uh, I had a job for you to do, and I've raised you up to do it. And uh, for four decades, we would say that he did not have a successful ministry. Uh, he was preaching repentance to a people that did not believe they needed to repent of anything. Well, that's something we ought to be able to relate to in our culture. That's what we live in the United States today. We've got much the same. And instead of being honored, most just hated him because they didn't like his message. Just like what we see in the world today. Uh, if people can't debate the issue, they will attack the messenger. Uh, remember in Paul's work, Apostle Paul had to continue to defend himself that he was, in fact, an apostle because his opposition didn't attack what he was stating because from a biblical perspective, they couldn't argue with the truth, so they attacked the messenger. Well, the same thing was true about Jeremiah. Now, he was a victim of the cancel culture before there ever was a cancel culture. He was the greatest patriot probably in all of Judah, yet he was accused of treason. He was the most faithful man of God that we are aware of in Jerusalem, yet the popular false preachers uh, uh, opposed him on every side and accused him of being in error. Of course, Jeremiah is one of three of the major prophets that were all contemporaries. And as I point out each week, and for those of you that haven't been here, it's important to cover this, uh, Jerusalem actually fell over a period of 19 years. Jerusalem lost autonomy in 606 B.C., where they sub were subject to Nebuchadnezzar, the king of kings, as the emperor of the Babylonian Empire. But after about 10 years, Israel had rebelled and stopped paying their tributary taxes. Well, if you ever want to get the government's attention in a hurry, stop paying your taxes. You'll, they'll find they will be all over your front door. Well, they were. And the second, what we would say, siege of Jerusalem was in 597. So the first siege in 606, Jerusalem surrendered. A vassal king was placed in charge. It was at this point that Daniel and about, oh, there was just a couple of thousand that were taken captive back to Babylon. In 597, some 10 years later, um, again the city surrendered. And again there were some, a remnant, taken captive back to Babylon. This time Ezekiel was taken. And then finally about 10 years later, the thing repeated itself and this time, the city was laid siege to and destroyed. Well, we are right here at the tail end, chapter 30 and 31. 
You can remember in the past weeks we had the confrontation between uh, Jeremiah and Hananiah as Jeremiah came into this important meeting of uh, or, or, or governmental leaders from Judah and other provinces wearing a, a, a yoke on his shoulders, saying that this is what's going to happen to all of you. You're all going to be subject to Nebuchadnezzar. Just deal with it. Well, this false prophet Hananiah said, not true. In fact, in less than two years, our king Jehoiakim, or Jehoiachin, who's been taken captive, is going to come return with all the captives and all the temple treasures. Everything's going to be okay. Well, if you remember, Jeremiah went toe-to-toe in a very confrontational uh, uh, situation with Hananiah in the temple court and said, uh, Hananiah, you said within two years, ain't going to happen. As a matter of fact, uh, before this year is over, you're going to be a dead man. Well, uh, just as Jeremiah had prophesied, because he was a true prophet of God, within two months, Hananiah was, in fact, a dead man. Well, now some seven years had passed. And you remember, Jeremiah had been communicating with the captives. He had written a letter that was received eventually by Daniel and, of course, Ezekiel and the others that were in captivity, stating that, hey, build houses, have families, get married. You're not going anywhere for a while. This punishment has been brought on you by our God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So God says you're going to be there for 70 years. So make yourself at home. You're not going anywhere. Well, again, that caused more friction with the false prophets, wasn't well received. Now, some seven years have passed. They are right down at the end. The city of Jerusalem is surrounded. We know that some 18 months covered the entirety of this siege. And inside the walls of the city, there was such deprivation and starvation that people were eating their own children. Uh, a, A handful of bird droppings was going for a bag of gold because they were that hungry. There was nothing to eat. There was no water. Well, at this point in time, (laughs) God amazingly gives a message of encouragement. You remember, Jeremiah has been the guy that's been the bearer of bad news for almost four decades. He's been saying, repent or judgment is coming. Well, now judgment is at the door, and God responds with some words of encouragement. We will get through just the first little bit in chapter 30. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, Jeremiah, I want you to speak all that I have given. In fact, I want you, Jeremiah, the city is going to be conquered. There's going to be destruction. So make sure you write this down, put it in a scroll, because I want you to have this for safekeeping. By the way, because he did that, we are actually reading this letter in chapter 30. So it did work. It has been kept safely. Beginning in verse 3, Lo, the days come, saith the Lord that I will bring again the captivity of my people Israel and Judah, and I will cause them, Israel and Judah, to return to the land that I gave to their fathers, and they shall possess it. These are the words that the Lord spake concerning Israel and Judah. Now, ladies and gentlemen, understand the significance of this. There is no such thing as the lost ten tribes of Israel. When the kingdoms split north to south... All the, now it would be like 10 states geographically to the north, two states geographically, Judah and Benjamin to the south. Now, if the state of Oklahoma declared Christianity illegal and said, we are going to start persecuting Christians, but Texas said, hey, Christianity is still, you're open down here, uh, you're welcome to worship the Lord and own Bibles and do everything in the state of Texas. Uh, this law is going to take effect in 30 days. Well, most of us would probably sell our homes and pack up and move south. Well, that's what happened. Those that were faithful to Yahweh in the northern 10 tribes geographically moved to the southern kingdom. There were some in the south that liked the idea. They were already socialists, for an example, and they decided to move north. So there was a sifting and separation, but there's no such thing as lost 10 tribes that immigrated eventually to Europe and then came to America and the church has replaced Israel. That is just not true. Now, what is amazing here is you see that God says Israel, which is the northern kingdom that fell to Assyria 150 years before Judah did. 
God says that, okay, things are tough right now. Things look bad right now. But I am going to keep every promise that I made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Israel and Judah will return to the land that their fathers possessed. What land is that? Heaven? No. The United States? No. It's Israel, the land of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They will return, and they will live in peace and prosperity, and I will keep every promise that I have made. We carry on. In fact, as a matter of fact, let me cross-reference and see where this came from. Think back to God with the Jews at Mount Sinai. At Mount Sinai, they are less than, what, they're 50 days after being rescued from bondage in Egypt. Moses led them across the Red Sea. They show up at Mount Sinai. Within 50 days, God starts giving Moses the law and the construction plans to the uh, tabernacle, establishing the priesthood. The Jews were literally uh, at the foot of, of Mount Sinai for 11 months before they continued their journey. And at Mount Sinai, God gave them what we have in Exodus and Leviticus. Of course, they get to Kadesh Barnea. And they disobeyed and didn't go into the land as God had promised He would give to them. Instead, they said, no, there's too many giants. And there were giants. Think of Goliath. There were nine, ten-foot pole men, warriors. There were walled cities. And the, the Israelites said, we can't possibly take it. God said, I'm tired of your complaining. I'm tired of your lack of trust. You, this unfaithful generation, won't inherit the promised land. But I will keep my promises. I'll give it to your children. They wandered the wilderness for 38 more years, a total of 40 since they came out of bondage. Now they're at the east side of the Jordan, getting ready to cross into the promised land. Joshua's going to lead them in. And of course, you know, the first battle is the battle of Jericho. Well, there in Deuteronomy, Moses' last official act before God took him to heaven was the second giving of the law. Remember that first generation had died off in the wilderness. Now it was their children getting ready to go in and inherit the land. So God repeated and reestablished His promises. As Dan preached a couple of weeks ago when he was talking about monuments and markers and, and things of that nature, God warned them in Deuteronomy. He said, here's what's going to happen. You all are going to get into the promised land, and it's going to be everything I told you that it was. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. It's going to be great, uh, and you're going to be prosperous. And before long, things are going to be going so good that you're going to forget all about me. And then you're going to think you did all this on your own. And if you continue down this path, you're going to disobey me. You're going to start worshiping idols. And when that happens, I'm going to take you out of the land. It's amazing. Warned them in advance. Told them exactly what the repercussions were. And But God said, as you notice here in chapter 30, this is part of it, in the last days, I'm going to keep my promises. I am going to bring you back into the land, and I'm going to fulfill every promise that I made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Look here in verse 3. Then the Lord thy God will, will return thy captivity and have compassion upon you. And again, this is 400 plus years before they even asked for a king, uh, some 600 years before the land was divided, some, uh, you know, a thousand years before the Jews went off into captivity and in bondage. Susie, who are you looking for? I see we're, we're, ha we're having distress here. John, he just went out. Okay, okay, okay. Okay, very good. I see we have a lot of activity, so just want to try to help if I can. Uh, and if any of thine be driven out to the utmost parts of heaven from the, another, God is, is, is exaggerating here. Even if they were at the, at the extent of heaven, I'm going to return them. The Lord thy God will bring thee into the land which thy fathers possessed. Now again, they're on the east side of Jordan right now. They haven't gone in yet. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And thou shalt possess it, and God will do you good and multiply thee better than ever before. And God will circumcise thine heart. Again, that's a, an act of regeneration, a sincere heart, surrendered to the Lord. So God says, I'm going to keep my promises. Now, Ezekiel. You remember, Ezekiel is a contemporary of Jeremiah. At the same time that Jeremiah is preaching chapter 30, God is giving this message to Jeremiah. It's called the Valley of Dry Bones. Heard a lot of pastors misappropriate this prophecy to the church and other things. Read with me in context. The hand of the Lord was upon me, this being Jeremiah, 
and carried me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of a valley which was full of bones. Imagine being in a valley where a war had taken place a long time ago and there were dead bodies everywhere and the flesh was all gone. All that was left was the bones. And caused me to pass by them round about and behold, there were very many in the open valley and lo, they were very dry. They had been there a long time. God said unto me, Son of man, Ezekiel, can these bones be brought back to live? And Ezekiel said, Lord, I don't know. You know the answer. Again, he said unto me, Ezekiel, prophesy unto these bones and say unto them, O you dry bones, listen to the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord unto these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter into you, and you shall live, and I will lay flesh upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied, as I was commanded, Ezekiel said. And as I prophesied, there was a noise, and behold, the shaking, and the bones came together, uh, bone to bone. And when I beheld, lo, the sinews and the flesh came upon them, and the skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. In other words, there was no, that's the Hebrew word ruach, which we would use for spirit. So they were physically there, but they still had no spirit within them. I would say much like Israel today back in the land, but haven't come face to face with the Messiah yet. Then said unto me, prophesy unto the wind, prophesy, son of man, say to the wind, thus saith the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breathe, and breathe upon these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied, and he commanded me, and breath came into them, and they lived and stood upon their feet as an exceeding army. Well, what's the interpretation of this? Is it the Baptist church? No. These bones are, what's the next word? The whole house of Israel. What did I say a while ago? There are no lost ten tribes. The whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, Our bones are dried, our hope is lost, we are cut off for our parts. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus saith the Lord, Behold, O my people, uh, me, am people, uh, the am I a, a personal possessive, my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up out of your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you out of your graves and shall put my spirit in you and you shall live. And I will place you in your own land and then shall you know that I, the Lord, have spoken it and performed it, saith the Lord. That transitions into the parable of two sticks. Again, this is Ezekiel and the same message. Moreover, son of man, take thee one stick and write upon it, Judah. And this will represent the northern kingdom in his commandments and his uh, companions. Take another stick and write upon it, uh, uh, excuse me, okay, Joseph. Okay, she got all of Israel. Ephraim is the northern kingdom or the house of Israel, the northern ten tribes and his companions. Then join them together with another stick and they shall become one in thy hand. So you got one stick as Judah. You notice the first part of verse 16. I skipped over that. And then you've got Israel. So you got Judah, the southern kingdom, Israel, the northern kingdom. Imagine two sticks. I wish I had, okay, here's a pen and here's a pencil. And this stick could be a scepter, kingdom. Okay, I got the northern kingdom here. I got the southern kingdom here. You ever seen a good magician's tricks? Two sticks, they become one. Okay, no more two, but one. And I will join them to one another into one stick, and they shall become one in thine hand. And when the children of Israel shall speak unto thee, saying, Wilt thou not show us what you mean by all this? Then say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I will take the stick of Joseph, the northern kingdom, which is in the hand of Ephraim, and the tribes of Israel, his fellows, and will put them in uh, with him, even with the stick of Judah, and make them one stick, and they shall be one in mine hand. And the sticks whereon thou writest shall be in thine hand before their eyes. In other words, this is a visual illustration for the people so they don't miss it. And say unto them, Thus saith the Lord, here's the interpretation, I will take the children of Israel from among all the Gentile nations, whither they be gone. And I will gather them from everywhere and bring them into their, what? Own land. And I will make them one nation in the land upon the mountains of Israel. And get the next part. One king shall be king to them all. And they shall no more be the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Neither shall they defile themselves anymore with idols and detestable things. Verse 24. And David, my servant, shall be king over them. And they shall have one shepherd. 
They shall also walk in my judgments and observe my statutes and do them. And they shall dwell in the land that I have given unto Jacob, my servant, wherein your fathers have dwelt. And they shall dwell therein, even they and their children and their children's children forever. And my servant David shall be their prince or be their king. Now, let me stop right here. From this point, roughly 587 B.C. forward, there has never been another king in Israel. Will there be? If God keeps His word, there will be. Herod was not a Jew. Herod was not of the lineage of David. Herod was an Edomite, and he was a political appointee by the Roman Senate. He had no authority. He was an imposter. That's why when the wise man showed up in Jerusalem and asked Jared, where is he that is born the king of the Jews? It caused such a stir because he knew he was an imposter. Now, after the 70 years, Zerubbabel led a remnant back out of Babylon, less than 50,000, with permission from Cyrus. Do you know where most of the Jews stayed? In Babylon. So the Jews didn't actually all return to the land then, did they? And think about it. Even in the time of Jesus' day, when they had a temple there, did they have a king in the lineage of David? No, they did not. Uh, Did all the Jews live in the land? No, they did not. You remember in Acts 2 at Pentecost, there were Jews that had returned for that summer feast from all over the world, speaking all sorts of different languages. This has not been fulfilled yet. Thus saith the Lord, verse 5, We have heard a voice of trembling of fear and not of peace. Now, the city was on the verge of being destroyed. Jeremiah was told to write all this down. The city was going to be destroyed. This is a permanent record for the Jews. By the way, we are still enjoying it 2,500 years later. God is speaking to them about the condition of Israel prior to His return. Trembling and fear not peace. Now, you remember last week I showed you an illustration that in Jewish hermeneutics, Jewish interpretation in Bible study, they actually will interpret a passage of Scripture four different ways. We do this all the time. We will read a passage of Scripture. For example, you know, David facing off against Goliath, and we pastors may make some application about you get out there and you face your giants. It may be this obstacle, and it may be that obstacle. But if you do the right thing and you live by faith, trusting the Lord, you can overcome. Well, that's a great application. But that's not the Peshat. That's not the literal meaning of the Scripture. The literal passage is David, this little short Jewish boy, the youngest member of his family, going out against a 10-foot giant, and telling him, you uncircumcised Philistine, how dare you stand against the armies of the Most High God? Here, I'm going to give you, I'm going to cut your head off with that sword. That is the literal what happened. Peshat remez drosh and sowed. I gave you an example last week about how a passage of Scripture can have a plain truth, but also have a prophetic truth. And I showed you Hosea 11. You read Hosea 11, it is clearly talking about God bringing Israel out of bondage in Egypt when Moses led them through the Red Sea. Hosea 11, no doubt what that's talking about. That is the Peshat, the literal, plain explanation of the passage of Scripture. We wouldn't think anything else about it if it wasn't for this apostle named Matthew. That using a rabbinical, midrashic interpretation pointed to that very passage of Scripture and said that is another prophecy about Jesus being the Messiah. Because Joseph was warned to go into Egypt and dodge Herod for a while before they were slaughtered in Bethlehem. And Matthew said, that fulfills the prophecy of Hosea 11.1. Out of Egypt I have called my son. Let me ask you a question. Which one is correct? What was that answer? Both. That's exactly right. We are going to see as we go through Jeremiah and all these... There are literal Peshats that are fulfilled with the return 70 years later. But there are also prophetic understandings, interpretation, 
as we saw from Daniel, when Daniel said in chapter 9, was told it's not 70 years, but it's 70, 70 shevas, 70 sevens, shevayim, a plural, a feminine plural, shevayim, 70 sevens of years, 490 years. Which one is true, Jeremiah or Daniel? Both. So keep that in mind as we go forward here. Ask you now and see, does a man go through labor pains? Well, then why do I see all these Jewish men agonizing as if they're in labor pains? Now, notice the idiom of childbirth. This is consistent throughout Scripture when dealing with the birth of Israel. Specifically, when King Jesus comes to rule and reign at at Armageddon. Jesus is referencing Jeremiah 30, verse 6, when He said in the Olivet Discourse, all these are the beginning of sorrows. That word sorrows literally means labor pains. Where did Jesus come up with that idiom? Well, first of all, He is the Word of God. He is responsible for all of Scripture. So He gave it to Jeremiah to begin with. But Jesus is referencing it when He was sitting there on the Mount of Olives teaching His disciples about that last seven years that precedes His next return. By the way, the same idiom is referenced in Isaiah 66, talking about Israel being born in a day. Verse 7, Alas, that day, this is Jeremiah again, that day is great so that none is like it. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. Again, Jesus in the Olivet Discourse. What is He quoting? What is He referencing? Jeremiah 30, verse 7. For then shall be great tribulation. Same word as trouble. Such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time known nor shall ever be. That's exactly what Jeremiah was told to say. That day is great so that none is like it. Alas, or woe, or oh, that day is awful. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble. Who is Jacob? Israel. But he, who's the he? Read the sentence and tell me, like your teacher. (laughs) It is the time of Jacob's trouble, but he, Jacob, shall be saved out of it. Who shall be saved out of Israel's birth pains? Israel. Exactly. Now, we've talked about this before. We will reference it again. After the dispersion, after the return, after Nehemiah comes back and rebuilds the city, which, remember, was key in Daniel 9, the Jews were looking forward expectantly to the age of the Messiah. And they believed it was a literal age. And as you read through the Bible... That's how you would understand it as well, unless someone told you to explain it away figuratively. They knew that the 70th week of Daniel was coming. They knew the seven years that preceded the return of the king. And they believed in the age of the Messiah. If you read there in Micah 4, the same thing as in Isaiah 2, same thing as in Isaiah 11, there's going to come a point in time where king, the king of the lineage of David rules and reigns. The lion's going to lie down with the lamb. Uh, nations will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning, hicks, pruning hooks. And there won't be pruning hicks. That's in Arkansas. Uh, but pruning hooks. Uh, but, uh, and there will be no more war. And, uh, well, that is literally going to happen on earth when we have a just king and a just, uh, and just uh, government, that won't happen before King Jesus. Now, we've talked about before. Zechariah is sitting here writing, and he's as confused as anybody. Because in Zechariah 9, 9, he's told to write down, you're going to recognize your Messiah because this is how he's going to show up. Humbly, bringing salvation, riding on a donkey, coming over the Mount of Olives. Then in Zechariah 14, says, this is how you're going to recognize the Messiah. There's going to be a war around Jerusalem. City's going to be half taken, houses rifled, women ravished. Then in the midst of it, when it looks like it's all over, you're going to cry out to me, and I'm going to show up, and I'm going to stand on the Mount of Olives riding a white charger leading an army, and there is going to be hell to pay. Wow, those are two very distinct and different 
explanations of how you're going to recognize the Messiah. Now, did the first one happen literally? Is it reasonable to assume that the second one will also happen literally? I would say if you're consistent, maybe you want to spiritualize it. I, I personally think it's going to be consistent. Now, you've heard the expression, actually, I think it was birthed by an old expositor named Clarence Larkin. What's called the Mountain Peaks of Prophecy. If John Lash was here, he'd be jumping up and jumping for joy. He loves the Mountain Peaks of Prophecy. From the Old Testament, they're looking forward. They could see these two appearances. What they couldn't see is the period of time that's in between them. From where their perspective, you see Jesus on the colt bringing salvation. You see Jesus leading the army. You don't see what is to now 2,000 years of separation between them. Now, we've got better understanding, especially in the book of Revelation and personal experience, the epistles, what's going on in the meantime. But remember what we just read. This will be the time of Jacob's trouble. Remember when Daniel is given some meat on the bones. Further explanation. He said, 70 Shevaim, 70 Shevaim are determined. A judgment determines this is what you're guilty. Here's the fine. Here's your sentence. Seventy weeks are determined upon the body of Christ. No. Upon the church. No. Upon your people, Daniel, the Jews. And upon Washington, D.C. No, that's an unholy city. No, upon Jerusalem. To finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to, to wrap up all the prophecies, and to anoint the Messiah, the most holy one in the most holy place. Okay? The time of Jacob's trouble, Israel's trouble. But Israel shall be saved out of it. Seventy weeks are determined upon Jews and Jerusalem. All right. So, exactly 173,880 days from when the clock started. When Cyrus, excuse me, when Artaxerxes gave uh, uh, Nehemiah permission to go back and rebuild the walls of the city and the streets. Beginning on that day, you count 69 weeks of years. And it comes to the day when Zechariah 9.9 was fulfilled. King made his triumphal entry. Of course, he cleansed the temple, chased them all out, said, you've turned my house into a den of thieves, taught for the next four days, healed, proved that he was, in fact, the Lamb of God, which was uh, qualified to take away the sin of the world. They rejected him. Matthew chapter 23, he marches out, preaches that scathing sermon, calling them uh, whited sepulchers and snakes, wraps it up with this, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. You've killed the prophets. You've stoned everyone that I've sent unto you. How often would I have gathered you as a, gathered my children together just as a a hen gathered her chicks under her wings, but you refused to repent and return to me. Remember, at the beginning of his ministry, he chased everybody out of the temple and said, it's my father's house. At the end of the three years, he chased everybody out of the temple and said, it's my house. Now he's saying, behold, you want it? You got it. I'm leaving your house empty. The Holy Spirit does not live here, leaving it to you desolate. And I say unto you, you will not see me again until you utter this prayer. Baruch atah, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Then he walked across the Kidron Valley with his, his disciples, and he taught the Olivet Discourse. Going into depth as to what's going to happen in that 70th week of Daniel. And he answers these questions. He said the temple's going to be torn down. Not one stone's going to be left on another. They asked him, tell us, when shall these things be? What shall be some signs indicating that you've returned or you're returning? In fact, what are some signs of the end of this age? Jesus answers these questions. First of all, pertaining to his coming, take heed that no man deceive you. For many are going to come in my name saying that they're the Messiah. And they're going to deceive many. Then if any man shall say unto you, Lo, oh, here's the Messiah over here. Or here's the Messiah over there. Don't you believe it. The next time I come, you're not going to miss it. Notice verse 26 and 30. I've got there in small letters. Wherefore, small font. Wherefore, if they shall say unto you, Behold, he's in the desert. Don't go there. He's not in a deserted place. 
If they say to you, oh, he's over in this secret room. It's a setup. They're trying to kill you Jews. Don't believe it. The next time I come, just as lightning comes out of the east and shineth even into the west, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. In fact, immediately after the tribulation of those days, then the sun is going to be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. If you have read the book of Revelation, there are not only man's inhumanity to man, there's not only natural disasters, but at the very end, there's some supernatural, catastrophic, miraculous disasters poured out. Jesus says, And then shall the Son of Man appear in heaven. Then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. In other words, you're not going to miss me the next time. You might have missed Zechariah 9.9. You're not going to miss Zechariah 14. It goes on, there shall be false messiahs, false prophets, show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Let me ask you a question. Once you're saved, can you lose your salvation? No. It's called everlasting life. It's called eternal life. If you are truly saved, you cannot lose it. Now, we would call that, as the church, we would say that's the elect. Well, how can the elect be deceived? You can't lose your salvation. Well, let me tell you, in this position, they're not talking about the church. The elect was also referencing Israel. Isaiah 45, verses 3 and 4. For Jacob, my servant's sake, and Israel, what are the next two words? Mine elect. Isaiah 65, 9, I will bring forth a seed out of Jacob, out of Judah, inheritor of my mountains, and mine elect shall inherit my mountains, and my servants shall dwell there. Isaiah 65, 22, they shall not build and another inhabit, they shall not plant and another eat. In other words, they're not going to be chased out of the land. For as the days of a tree are the days of my people, and mine elect shall enjoy the work of my hands. In the Olivet Discourse, this is being made to the Jews and the apostles represent the Jews. Follow me here. The church hasn't been birthed yet, by the way. Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man shall deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am the Messiah, and shall deceive many. And you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nations shall rise against nation. By the way, that is ethnos, ethnic group against ethnic group, and kingdom against kingdom, political kingdom against political kingdom. There shall be famines and pestilences, earthquakes, diverse places. All these is the beginning of birth pains. Now, all throughout this, take aid that no man deceive you. You shall see of wars. You, therefore, shall see. Oh, you shall see the abomination of desolation. Uh, and if any man tell you, lo, here is Christ. Um, likewise, you, when you see all these things, know that it is even at the doors. Oh, let me go back. I wouldn't quite finish there. This is a transcendent you. Representing, it's not speaking to the apostles, but to the Jews. Let me ask you a question. Just take a look at verse 15. There are some that would say all this was fulfilled when Jerusalem was conquered in 70 A.D. When you shall see the abomination of desolation. How many of these apostles were there in Jerusalem in 70 A.D.? None of them. In fact, except for John, all were dead by this point in time. By the way, it talks about when you see the Messiah return, He's going to come like the east and the west. How many of them are still alive today? None of them. I would say that this, without doubt, is a transcendent you, referencing, speaking to you, to, through you to the Jewish people. Now, let me give you another example. Deuteronomy, we talked about Deuteronomy a minute ago, when they were on the east side of Jordan. Deuteronomy 18, 15. God spoke through Moses and said this, The Lord thy God will raise up unto you a prophet from the midst of thee, of thy brethren, like unto me, unto him you shall hearken. We know without doubt that this is referencing Jesus. He is that prophet, capital P, that Moses was prophesying of in Deuteronomy chapter 18. All right, this took place 1,500 years before the birth of Christ. How many of the Jews there on the east side of Jordan were alive to see Jesus' birth? None of them. So is he talking to those Jews there, or is he speaking to the Jewish people? 
I would say he's speaking to the Jewish people. Now, we talked about the elect a little bit ago. Where'd my water go? Did I leave my water in my office? Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. You're about to see me throw a fit. Okay. Not really. I only throw fits during sporting events and at the golf course. All right. Ultimately, there's two groups of people. Jesus said in John 5, there's going to be a resurrection of the just and a resurrection of the damned. Two groups. Now, we know that there are... You read the Faith Hall of Fame in Hebrews 11. We know that Abel is referred to as a member of the Faith Hall of Fame. We know that Noah is referred to as the Faith Hall of Fame. Neither were part of Israel. Israel wasn't birthed yet. Neither were part of what we would call the church or the church age. But they're in the Faith Hall of Fame. They are part of the body, ultimately, of believers. Now, 1 Corinthians tells us, as Paul said, give no offense that there are three people groups that are addressed in the Bible. There are Gentiles, there are Jews, and there is the ecclesia, the church. And again, at the tail end, we see Jews are folks again. As we go through Scripture, recognize that the first 11 chapters there is no one on earth other than Gentiles. You know, what's really funny is when you tell a, a Jewish friend that the father of Judaism was actually a Gentile. Abraham was the original Jew. All right? Beginning with Abraham, the focus through whom God works is the Jewish people. Now, you notice what that covers we get through Malachi, and we get through the first four Gospels, which, as we have said before, are eyewitness testimonies proving that Jesus was, in fact, the Messiah, the King of the Jews, the suffering servant the, of, of human descent, and also divine, all four. We see the birth of the church in Acts 2, but it really becomes more Gentile-centric or church-centric by Acts 7. But we see it's church-centric at this point in time. And then Revelation 4.1, we see at the end of the church age, in Revelation 2 and 3, we see in Revelation 4.1, Metatauta, after these things, I heard a voice in heaven sound as if a trumpet, sound as a shofar sound, saying, come up hither. And immediately, John said, I was in the presence of the Lord at the throne of God. We see the focus then back to the Jews from Revelation 6 through Revelation 19, the 70th week of Daniel. What do you see in between here that you don't see in uh, Nebuchadnezzar's image? I'm sorry, and that you don't see in the Old Testament. Okay, so understand that the Gospels were still addressing to the Jew first, proving that Jesus is the Messiah and then to the Gentiles. So again, this is the time of Jacob's trouble, Israel's birth pains, but Israel shall be saved out of it. We referenced a moment ago, the end of Matthew 23, Jesus said, you won't see me again until you say, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. As I shared with you last night, or last week, it is my opinion that Hosea 5.15 is that prophecy. It is my opinion that that is why the devil is working so aggressively to destroy the Jewish people right now. Look what's going on in the Middle East right now. If there are no Jews alive to cry out at Armageddon, then it's logical to say the Messiah can't return. But he that shall endure to the end shall be saved. Again, back to the Alabama Discourse. Again, Jesus teaching. Wait a second. How is a person saved? By faith in Jesus Christ. Do we have to endure to the end of anything? What if you were tortured and somebody was, was torturing you terribly? And you love the Lord, and in a moment of just absolute anguish, and you're exhausted, you haven't slept in a week, and they're, they're sticking, they're, they're burning you and doing all sorts of things. What if you made some false denial? Does that mean you've lost your salvation right there before you died? I don't think so. I don't think that we add anything to it. I think it is a gift of God that we receive by faith. 
And if you're generally born again, you're generally born again. There's a di- you'll, you know the difference. You know the difference between you're play acting or if you're not. So I don't think, again, this addresses the body of Christ at all. What's saying here is that God will fulfill His promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You guys hold out, reject the Antichrist, but um, He won't be successful in destroying the Jewish people. As a matter of fact, we have some color added in Zechariah. Zechariah tells us that during that last seven years of time, that two-thirds of the Jews that live inside Israel will die. In the last 70th, 70th week of Daniel, the seven years, Jesus said, it's, it just he quoted Jeremiah, said, there's been nothing like it on earth. Worst time on earth. It said that during the Holocaust, one in three Jews was killed. During this seven years, two in three is going to be killed. Ezekiel says those outside the land of Israel, only one in ten will survive. But, we're told what to do if they, when they see the abomination of desolation. I was asked one time, Pastor, what if you're wrong? What if it actually is a mid-trib rapture? What if it is a, a post-trib rapture? What would you tell the church so they would know not to receive the mark of the beast? Well, the mark of the beast won't be the mark of the beast until the temple is rebuilt, until the Antichrist stands inside of it and says, worship me. That's when that mark is going to be given out. So if you've gotten the vaccine right now, don't worry, that's not the mark of the beast. But hold on, I'm not going to get through this, John. But for the elects, ask me afterwards. But because we are down to five minutes and I've still got a little ways to go. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be, it says, oh, it means, it doesn't mean shortened. Seven years is seven years. In fact, there's many times it says uh, it defines the last three and a half years as 42 months, a time, times, and the dividing of a time, three and a half years. It's the exact number of days. It is every bit of seven years. That word means to come to an end. It means to tie up to a dock, to come to an end of a journey. If it was, in other words, if this was allowed to carry on indefinitely, no one would survive. But for the elect's sake, it will come to an end. Again, let me emphasize, this is the time of whose trouble? Who's Jacob? But Jacob, Israel, shall be saved out of it. And it shall come to pass in that day, saith the Lord of hosts, that I will break this yoke. Remember Jeremiah walking in with the yoke? Well, God says, I am going to break that yoke from off of you. And you'll no longer be serving others. But you will serve the Lord your God and David their king. Let me say, there's a passage in Ezekiel, and some people say that David will be resurrected literally and co-regent with Jesus I don't know that I believe that, probably don't. I think this is referencing the Messiah of the lineage of David. But I just wanted to say that so you know that there is a debate out there. And I think it's Ezekiel 36. There is a legitimate question raised in that passage where you could make that confusion. But remember Isaiah 9, for unto us a child is born, child, the son of, or, uh, speaking of his humanity, for unto us a son is given, his deity, the Son of God, Psalm 2. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and of peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon David's kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Again, let me ask, where is David's throne? If you're a Jew, if you're standing there with Isaiah and Isaiah is given this prophecy, how would you understand this? Jerusalem, the lineage of David. Fast forward to when Gabriel visited Miriam of Nazareth. The angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for behold, for thou hast found favor with God, and behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Salvation, Yeshua. He shall be great, he shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God shall give unto him what? The throne of his father David. 
and he shall reign over the what? What's the house of Jacob? Forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. So again, the seed of David will rule and reign on the throne of his father, David. Okay, again, they're about to be destroyed. God's giving them some encouragement. I'm going to keep my promises. Long way off. I'm going to keep those bones are going to be very dry. Be out there for a long time. But eventually they're going to come back together and they're going to be standing like a mighty army in the Lord, but there's going to be no spirit within them. But there will be a day where there is the spirit within them. Therefore, fear thou not, O my servant Jacob, saith the Lord, neither be dismayed, O Israel, for lo, I will save thee from afar, distant lands, and thy seed from the land of their captivity. And Jacob shall return and shall be in rest and be quiet, and none shall make him afraid. Now let me ask you a question. At this point in time, the city was about to be destroyed. We know that they were going to be hauled off to Babylon. We know that in 536, Zerubbabel was given permission and a remnant returned to Jerusalem, right? Was there peace in Babylon? Let me reference something for you. You remember the story of Esther. Remember when Haman sought to wipe out the Jews while they were still in Babylon? Was there peace in Babylon? Nope. Was there peace back in the Holy Land as Zerubbabel led the Jews back to uh, start rebuilding the temple? Nope. Remember the Samaritans were trying to wipe them out then. Go forward. There was Antiochus Epiphanes, the Greek general, about 170 B.C. You go forward. You see the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 A.D. See Jerusalem destroyed again in the Bar Kokhba revolt in 135 A.D. We see Islam. We see the Jews scattered throughout the world. We see fierce anti-Semitism throughout history. We see the pogroms. We see the Holocaust. We see the return. We see the Declaration of Independence. By the way, what is today? The 12th? Two days. May the 14th will be the anniversary of, of uh, the Declaration of Independence, the rebirth of Israel. Was there peace then? They're back in the land? Nope. There was a war immediately in 1948. War again in 1967. War in 1956. War in 1973. War with Lebanon in 1980. War with Gaza. War with Lebanon. By the way, what's going on today? Been over a thousand rockets fired into Tel Aviv and into southern part of Israel over the last 48 hours. Okay, let me go back here just for a second. Is there a point in time that you have seen yet, heretofore, from when Jeremiah was given this prophecy, 587, city was destroyed. We just went through Jewish history from 587 to now. Has there been a time where they have been at peace and at rest and quiet and none will make them afraid? I still think it's going to happen. I believe this is literal. Now, again, it's not there. Oops, wrong side. Want to sleep this direction? Again, right now, today, while we're here, they're firing rockets in. And by the way, if Texas was firing rockets into Oklahoma City, we would respond. So when Jerusalem fires back into Gaza, that is appropriate defense of themselves. Here's where we get to. We're almost done. Verse 11, For I am with thee, saith the Lord, to save thee, and though I make a full end of all nations, whither I have scattered thee, I will not make a full end of thee, but I will correct thee in measure and will not, and will not leave thee altogether unpunished. You know, if you remember when we studied Ezekiel, God spelled out His punishment on the enemies of Israel. He said to Edom specifically, Edom, you are finished. Moab, you are finished. Ammon, you are finished. Philistia, remember Goliath and the Philistines, the arch enemies of Israel? When's the last time you've seen a Philistine? God said, you're done. Phoenicia, Tyre, Sidon, you're done. What's amazing is He said specifically, Egypt, you're going to be taken out of the land for 50 years. 50. But you're going to return. But you're never going to be relevant. Now think about your history. Prior to that, it had always been Egypt as the world power, or Egypt and Assyria, or Egypt and Babylon. Egypt was always up there. God said, you're going to be out of land for 50 years, and when you return, nobody's going to care. 
Since this point in time, Egypt is back in the land. They were out for 50. They were allowed to return the same time the Jews were allowed to return. But they have never been a world power, never been relevant again. God said, I'm going to destroy those Gentile nations. Well, Israel was guilty of idolatry. Israel was guilty of burning their children in the fires of Moloch. God said, I'm going to punish you, but I'm not going to destroy you. I'm going to keep my promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Remember the Valley of Dry Bones? Those bones were there, and they were very dry. I'm going to, they're going to be there for a long time, but I'm going to bring you back to the land. And here's the last point we'll make, and we're going to be done. End of Matthew. This is so misunderstood, been so twisted. Learn a parable of the fig tree. When his branch is yet tender and putteth forth leaves, so know that summer is nigh. Likewise, when you shall see all these things, when you see all these things, know that my coming is near, even at the door. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. I remember when I was a kid, there were some prophetic Bible teachers that said, Ah, Israel is the fig tree. There are places in Scripture where you can make that connection. Ah, this generation shall not pass. Until these things be fulfilled, generation is 40 years. Where they got that definition, I'm not entirely sure, but it fit for them. Okay, the budding of the fig tree. Ah, May the 14th, 1948, Israel back in the land. You go 40 years, 1988, that's Armageddon. You subtract seven years, 1981. The rapture's coming in 1981. Boy, it really stinks to be us because we missed it. And we are now about 37 years into the millennial reign, and it's not nearly as good as I thought it was. I did not think Joe Biden would be in office. All right, let's compare Scripture to Scripture. You've got a parallel passage of Scripture in Luke. Luke says this, I spoke to them a parable. Behold, the fig tree and all the trees. Here's the point. When you see them bud, you know that summer is coming. Likewise, when you see all these things, know that the kingdom of God is coming. That's all the parable of the fig tree means. Just when you see all these things, you know it's coming. You know it's getting close. Recognize the signs of the times. Well, wait a second, Pastor. What about that word generation? Does that not mean a period of time? Oh, it can be. But here's actually the definition. An age or the persons. Let's cross-reference and see where that Greek word is used in other places in the New Testament. Woman was a Greek, a Syrophoenician, by her generation, by her nationality. Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, as many as were of the kindred, the family of the high priest. Men and brethren, you children of the family of Abraham, offspring of God, countrymen, in 2 Peter 2.9, you are a chosen nation, basically, generation. So that word generation can mean time, but it also can mean a group of people. The Jews will not be wiped out. Although they try, they won't succeed. God is going to keep His promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And as I made the statement, I think a week ago, Brother Dan caught it. You know, if Israel's only purpose was to birth the Messiah and God was done, then why have they been so hated for the last 2,000 years? Why have they been so persecuted? By the way, why have they maintained their identity for 2,000 years? When there is no more Edomites, no more Moabites, no more Ammonites, no more Philistines. But there are Jews. In fact, they're back in their land. And they're rebuilding the waste cities. And even naming them the names that they had. Just as the prophets said they would. This is my overview. I think we are right in... Oops, let me turn this on. It works better. I think we are right in this period end of the church age. I would say we're in the Laodicean age where we talk about, boy, we've got beautiful buildings, wonderful space. We don't meet in them anymore because of the COVID virus, but we got some fantastic facilities. Uh, 
But we're not real excited about the Lord. We just look really good. We don't think we have need of anything. I think we're right here. Again, the age of the Messiah is coming. We got the seven years, the time of Jacob's trouble, the 70th week of Daniel, 70 weeks are determined upon your people, Daniel, and your holy city, Daniel. This period precedes Armageddon, the arrival of the king, Zechariah 14. Then we'll actually have the May age of the Messiah at that point in time. We'll continue in chapter 30 next week, the last half of it. Wasn't this a fun study? I love Jeremiah. And then chapter 31 goes along with it. it it's, it's just as good. And again, these encouragements, even though the city is surrounded, even though it looks really bad right now, and it's going to be really bad for a while, nevertheless, God says there's good promises uh, yet to come, and I'm going to keep every one of them.